This episode is brought to you by DRB Facility Services. DRB provides a full range of facility services for both corporate and government clients. To learn more, please visit drbfacilityservices.com. That's drbfacilityservices.com. Hi, I'm Juliette Mayers. Welcome to Entering the Inspiration Zone with Juliette Mayers, a podcast for business professionals and entrepreneurs seeking positive connection and professional development. As an accomplished author, speaker, DEI strategist, and member of Forbes Coaches Council, I am living the dream, and I love helping others achieve their dreams. Each episode, I will share with you actionable steps that you can take to build the work and life you've imagined. Welcome. I'm so excited to have Danny Monroe with me today. Welcome, Danny. Thank you, Juliet. It's wonderful to be with you today. I'm excited about this conversation. Me too. So Danny Monroe is the founder of the Martha Vineyard CDO Summit, which is Chief Diversity Officers. She is a thought leader, trailblazer, and has spent 40 years consulting around diversity, equity, and inclusion, running her own company, and also working with many large organizations, helping them to transform their systems. She's very well respected and is definitely a leader in the field. And we're going to call this session Creating a Safe Space for Chief Diversity Officers, something that is desperately needed and that Danny had the foresight to see. So we're going to jump right in. Thank you again, Danny, for joining us for this conversation. And we want to start where we always start with our listeners is really helping them understand who Danny Monroe is. So tell us about yourself. Yeah, that's a great question. I often wonder day to day who Danny Monroe is, but I'd like to start sort of where it began and also with my personal identity. And that's because identity informs so much of our life and our choices and how we view the world. And so I'm the youngest of eight, grew up in a multicultural family, a biracial father, Creole mother, you know, working class family that owned their own home in the 50s. I'm a native Californian, and, and I transplanted to Massachusetts 35 years ago. So it's been kind of equal parts of my life on both coasts. I have a bachelor's degree in public administration. I was thinking I'd go to law school, but I married a lawyer instead. I did it the <laughs> easy way, right? Uh, and I have a master's degree in organizational development from Pepperdine. And I would say that my life was greatly influenced by where I grew up. And a lot of people may not think about their geographic location in that way, but the Monterey Peninsula is is one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I'm not biased. I've done a lot of traveling and seen a lot of places. And this is kind of what we call God's country. And what that for me really created this whole sense of wanting to explore, explore Big Sur, explore Carmel, Monterey, Salinas, Seaside, where I grew up, with a real sense of curiosity about how other people lived 
different. And Seaside, the town I grew up in, at one time had the largest concentration of Blacks per capita between San Francisco and Los Angeles. And so we were about 68% Black. And then we had a large uh, Filipino population, a large Portuguese population, white. So it was really, in some ways, a multicultural setting and I grew up around differences and, you know, didn't know I was being trained for the work that I would be doing in the future. So that really helped shape my thoughts about people coming together and inclusion and diversity and how the world works. So early career before 30, I grew up in nonprofit community-based organizations, worked in a one-room schoolhouse with kids who I didn't know if they were going to show up on Monday morning or not, shot, arrested, or just domestic challenges. And it was individualized instruction. So I had non-readers to kids reading at the college level. And I had to understand is like, how do I connect with each one of these students based on where they were in their process. Years later, I would learn that experience, that six years experience really helped me with my consulting work Mm -hmm. and being able to see clients individually about where they were in the DE&I field and not judge, but just partner with them from that space. So it was incredibly important, that piece of work. Mm -hmm. And then in the 90s, I had the opportunity to work for a large healthcare organization. And I made a cold call and cold calls have been very instrumental in my life. And that's another side story, but this was a cold call Mm -hmm. to a chief diversity officer who was well known at the time. And we began a conversation. And by the time we got off the phone an hour later, I had committed to designing a cultural competence program for physicians, Mm -hmm. five-day immersion program, With the caveat that I didn't know how to do this, but I would figure it out. Yeah. And for me, that became one of the lessons that I learned about my career is that taking the chance, being curious around stepping into the unknown, beginning to think through very complex projects and work, and also putting myself in a learning mode. So that particular project was the first of its kind in the country. Mm -hmm. It went on to win White House recognition for its excellence and sort of transformational approach because cultural confidence was just coming into vogue at the time. And, you know, I was amazed about what it became. And so this whole notion of curiosity, right, and Mm -hmm. stepping into spaces that are unique and places where something hadn't been done before and creating it became part of my brand. Yeah. So in 2007, I took a global assignment in a large pharmaceutical company in New York. They were a client. They had an educational role, a global educational role. And I had to make a strategic decision about, do I continue with my practice or do I step out of it for a while to 
gather the global experience and skills. And I wanted to work globally. Mm -hmm. I knew that I probably wouldn't get that through my consulting practice. And what would this mean in terms of the impact of my family? Because I would live in New York, they would stay in Boston. Right. And so I took the assignment. It was one of the best decisions that I made professionally. And for a number of reasons, when I got there and I was meeting with my learning and development colleagues, I was asking them about what was the pathway forward to conduct a global education experience, assuming they had done it, right? right. This was an 85,000-person organization in 42 countries. And my assumption was this wasn't the first time you had done a global educational experience. Well, to my surprise, it was. And yeah. I was stunned. Right. I didn't know if I would have taken the job had I known that going into, but I was there then. Yeah. And I said, okay, you got to figure this out. Right. So I used all of my consulting skills, my curiosity, my understanding of cross cultural education. And we designed a program for the top leaders across the globe, created the railroad track on how you do global education for this particular organization. Yeah. And, you know, that's consistent with what I've seen you do in terms of your work. I know our paths crossed at a big bank. <laughs> and of course, it's fascinating that we're both uh, engaged in helping organizations do this work. However, you took it to another level. And I want to talk about your vision, putting together all of these fantastic things that you had done to help organizations and recognizing that the people who are actually doing this work need a space, need to be nurtured and need to come together for their own edification. And that is the CDO Summit. So tell us, how did you come up with the idea for the Martha's Vineyard Chief Diversity Officer Summit? Yeah, it wasn't because I was doing some brilliant thinking. <laughs> that, you know, I had just retired from another very large healthcare system and was popping in and out of forms on Martha's Vineyard, where I've owned a house for 25 years. And, you know, I went to the African-American Film Festival. I went to a speaker series at Union Chapel and then heard someone who was running for a national office speak. And I thought to myself, what would it be like to bring a group of chief diversity officers to the summit? And again, it was the, that's my curiosity right. playing, right? And I'm assuming that I'd have 10 people in my living room. So it wasn't a vision. It was really just this idea at mm -hmm. that time. I'd have 10 people in my living room sort of working with them over a couple of days. And when I ran this by a couple of my colleagues who were chief diversity officers, they laughed at me and said, do you know how many people will <laughs> want to come to this? And yeah. I was like, are you serious? Really? They said, yes, and we will help sponsor it. Mm -hmm. And from that moment, Martha Savinia, chief diversity officer, just took off. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand the need 
that was there. But remember, we were coming out of the pandemic at this time. People hadn't been together. There hadn't been that sense of community, you know, and connecting. And so it really became word of mouth across the country. I mean, we were doing things online. When I talked to the different chief diversity, they said, oh, yeah, so-and-so told me about this and told me I should go. Yeah. And the first year we had 125 chief diversity officers. And it really is for chief diversity officers, the curriculum, the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Explain to our listeners what a chief diversity officer is. Certainly you and I know, but it's sometimes surprising to me that even in this day and age, some people don't necessarily know what that is. So tell us what that is and why they were so on board with this whole idea. Yeah. So chief diversity officers, the role itself probably has only been in existence since the very late 90s, maybe early 2000s. And their role really is to implement diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies across the organization. So it originally started by focusing on human capital issues, hiring, recruitment, development of diverse people. It now has become a business imperative for an organization in that diversity, equity, and inclusion runs through almost every function of an organization, whether you're talking about IT or finance or, you know, I was in healthcare, so we did a lot around healthcare disparities as it related to DEI and the workforce. And the role of the chief diversity officer, which has expanded greatly, because now we are into also having to lead and manage many of the social political issues of our day. I was just on a call with a client that was concerned about how to communicate around the war in Israel and Gaza. And they had sent out one communication, but it felt as if they were the reaction by the Jewish doctors and others is that it was one sided. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't get a good response to that. So we started talking through how do you really communicate, you know, these social political issues, you know, like this war, like the George Floyd era, et cetera, Black Lives Matter, Me mm-hmm. Too movement. Right. All of those are issues that chief diversity officers are being called into today to have to manage and be a part of the conversation about how their company is going to address them. Right. Because it's really moved from beyond being a role of implementing the inside initiatives for the company to also managing the external brand of the company, as well as the socio-political issues, as you outlined. Yeah, it's a both. And some companies do a really fabulous job on the external piece, Mm -hmm. but not as great on the internal Right. Or you have others that say, you know, we're really going to focus internally and let the external take care of itself. But the ones who are really out there doing this work and doing this well have figured out how to integrate both of them mm-hmm. because their employees are being touched by all of these issues. Right. Let's say like immigration. Right. Right. Immigration and healthcare system is a big issue because we knew we had employees who 
had relatives that were not legal. And we also employed international immigrants to do some of our research for us that came over on visas, Mm -hmm. right? So immigration is something that touched to the very core about how we were doing our work as a healthcare system. So the CDO role cuts across the gamut, and it is probably the most strategic role in an organization and the most complex and the most difficult to actually implement. Mm -hmm. Right. And yet what's interesting, and I'm sure you probably saw this too, particularly after George Floyd, a lot of people ran to put people in those roles without really taking into account, not fully understanding the context and the strategic nature of the role. I kind of want to pivot us to because I want to really delve into a better understanding why this conference is so successful, why there's such a buzz about it, and what were some of the things that happened? What actually goes on at the summit? Give us a little Yeah. So one of the most significant pieces of the summit is certainly where it's held on Martha's Vineyard. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about Martha's Vineyard, historically, it has been a place where brilliant minds come together to share some of the latest thinking of the time from Frederick Douglass to leaders of the Me Too movement, uh, Anna Nicole Jones and Adam Clayton Powell, and just many people come every summer for the last 50 years or so. Mm -hmm. And so that sense of intellectual discourse is real on Martha's Vineyard. I call it a university without walls for the month of August. Yeah. (laughs) But that aside, I think the buzz about it and what happens there is that the summit is designed for chief diversity officers. And one of the things I learned from the experience of the cultural competence program is how do you design to a profession? Mm-hmm. And so it's not generic programming. We really spent a lot of time thinking about what did chief diversity officers need at that point in time in their development? And chief diversity officers, as I talked about the role being very difficult, you know, what people don't take into consideration, they experience the same microaggressions as everybody else does in an organization, but they don't get to talk about them because they're leading work as an executive for the organization. So this is a place where they can come and just exhale. There are people uh, like mine in there who are going through the same work experience that they're going through, good, bad, or indifferent, right? They understand Mm -hmm. each other's joys and pains and frustrations about the work. And that is why I've been pretty steadfast on, hey, this needs to be for chief diversity officers. I've had a lot of people who want to attend, but the dialogue would shift from a focus on a more generic conversation about DE&I than, you know, if we hear someone like Kenji Yoshino, who was a speaker this year, and he's at NYU and a constitutional lawyer. Well, Kenji did a brilliant job of laying out the ruling by the Supreme Court on affirmative action and could help us separate the difference between Title VI and Title VII 
and also what the tactics we could employ in our organizations to make sure that we were still doing our work within the legal boundaries of the law. Well, that's a CDO conversation. Right. right? Well, some would argue that it's also a company-wide conversation, right? Absolutely. I think that it's wonderful that you have created this space for CDOs. In this particular instance, I really think that every single executive in an organization and really leaders, all leaders should understand why they should continue to support diversity, equity, and inclusion and how to go about it legally. But I understand the spirit of what you're saying. I, you know, I, I get it, but I'm, I, no, I don't disagree with yeah, you yeah, with yeah. that at all. I yeah. mean, but the CDO is the one that's going to have to help the organization implement whatever uh, they're right. coming up right, with, working right, with the right. general counsel, right. working with the CEO and other executives. And, yeah. you know, I was just a, not surprised, even for me, I began to really understand, okay, here are the things I can do and probably can't do, mm-hmm. right, in some of my client systems. So it was right. the tactics yeah. that the CDL was going to be responsible for. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I think it's very important knowing the immense amount of factors that CDOs have to manage and playing that role as the go-to person for all things cultural, all things DEI in the midst of so many things that are going on in the world, right? From you mentioned some of the social issues to trying to implement things in their organization while themselves processing their own individual experiences. So I commend you for really thinking deeply about that and protecting that space for those who are having to do that work and needing to have a space where they can have that psychological safety to be and to learn. So congratulations on that. Yeah. yeah and we have very candid conversations, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you know, and that is the other part about sort of keeping it within the family. Yeah. Piece of it. And I'm not saying, I would say about 5% of our audience are not CDOs, but there are people who may, you know, may be leading a nonprofit that's doing diversity work mm-hmm. of some sort, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are other people that we have different relationships with. But I would say 95% of that audience are chief diversity officers. The other thing that it provides for them is an opportunity to network with each other. Mm-hmm. Because at the large conferences that are coming, say, like DE&I, you have just a cross-section of people in different job functions. Right. And, you know, if you go to a SHRM's DE&I conference, I mean, and it's a great conference, but it may be 800 people that all have some form of a DE&I role, but they're not the chief diversity officer. Right. And let me just say this, Juliet, sort of, that, you know, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. <laughs> and since we launched, <laughs> so they say, since we launched the uh, form in 2022, there have been several CDO summits popping up around the country and online that never existed before. Fabulous, fabulous. Uh, but this one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But But yours is unique, for sure. Yeah, it can't be replicated. In thinking about the goals and also thinking about people who are not CDOs, who really in organizations need to support these efforts, 
right? What can other leaders that have chief diversity officers or people who are playing those roles, or even if they don't have someone called that, but is helping to implement diversity, what are some of the things that they can do to be more supportive and to advance the work? Yeah. So before I answer that, let me just share this one piece with you because it's connected to the previous conversation comments. And one of the things that has come out of the Chief Diversity Officers Summit is we decided to do a CDO impact study. Mm -hmm. So this past year, we've been involved in a research project that involves 50 Chief Diversity Officers really beginning to try and understand, you know, how are they having impact in their organization and how do they define impact and what are their challenges or resistance to the work? And this came about because there's so many articles out there that DEI has been weaponized, right? Mm-hmm. And from the political system, and many of the articles out there were from a deficit model perspective about DEI is broken, or you know, you don't report into the CEO, you don't have the resources, you don't have this and that. And no one was writing about the work that gets done daily so that your organization can actually be more productive and creative and profitable. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just important to begin to tell that side of the story. And so to your question about allies and support and what's needed, I mean, you certainly have to have the resources to perform well. And this is, you know, staff, budgets, support of the CEO. The role really does need to report into the CEO. One of the things that I discovered is oftentimes there isn't common language in an organization. And so people don't really have an understanding of what diversity, equity, and inclusion is. They're bringing in their lived experience definition, but they may not have a true working definition of DEI. So there's some real misconception. Mm-hmm. So creating that culture where there is common language and understanding about what DEI is, it's critically important if you're going to be successful. Absolutely. Building relationships yeah. Yeah. with the senior executives yeah. and sometimes one at a time, helping them be successful in their work and showing demonstrating to them where DE&I is an asset to their work so that you truly become partners, not just in DE&I, but also what their work is about makes a big difference. Absolutely. You know, I refer to it as the holistic approach, right? In terms of looking at DE&I, not as this project. I hate the term project when referring to DE&I because it's not a project. It's a way of being for the organization and includes the values and everything else. But moving from, you know, that sort of tactical approach to a more holistic approach and helping people understand, I totally agree with you in terms of the definitions. And that's usually the place I know I start and you start, but I think it would be helpful for others to do that as well. So thank you for those comments. We are going to be winding down shortly, but I want to ask you one more question, given your leadership on both the CDO Summit and having been a pioneer in a lot of the DEI work. Where do you see 
in terms of challenges and opportunities for the future? Yeah, I think the challenges really lie in helping our organization integrate the social political issues into the dialogue and the strategies of the organization because they are impacting our employee Mm -hmm. and oftentimes our organization, depending on what business you're in. So it's kind of like a cultural anthropologist is one of the new roles that the CDO now has to take on as well. And, you know, it's critically important to to understand, you know, in the 50s, the 60s and 70s, 80s, even 90s, that your personal life and your professional life was pretty separated. Mm -hmm. Today, that is not true, especially with social media, especially with the younger generations who are much more focused on what's right for them in organizations and what their values are and their needs are. So I think it's a different time now. So that is a big challenge for us going forward. And I need to understand that. I think the other opportunity we have is to see this chief diversity officer role as a business executive, just like any other business executive. Mm -hmm. And as I said earlier, it is probably one of the most strategic positions in corporations today and the most difficult to execute on. Yeah. So I think those two things are incredibly important if we're going to be successful at this work. I mean, the world is only getting more complicated, right? That's an understatement. (laughs) Thank you for that. I definitely concur. So I'm going to take this opportunity to highlight what I see as some of the key takeaways from our conversation. And right after that, Danny, I would love for you to let our listeners know how they can reach you. So we'll, we'll do that in a second. So one, thank you again, too, for your visionary leadership. And we started this out when you talked about even who you are and your background was curiosity. And that also happens to be one of the key pillars for inclusive leadership, right? And the importance Mm -hmm. of really having that that curiosity and and having that filter into everything that you do and that you talk about, it it comes out over and over again. Uh, You also talked about for the CDO Summit, really recognizing the need that people who are doing the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion, including those who have the formal title and those who do not, need a safe space to have those conversations and to have that psychological safety. And you have done a fabulous job of creating that with the Martha's Vineyard CDO Summit. There's also this holistic approach is is how I think about it. When you talk about all of the things that need to happen in terms of the CDO role and the organization, not just focusing on the tactics, but really seeing the role as strategic and touching so many dimensions, including, you know, being a cultural anthropologist, paying attention to the socioeconomic issues that are going on, leading the organization through culture change, and of course, managing all that goes with diversity, equity, and inclusion in a pretty volatile world in which we live. And so very important for organizations to pay attention to that holistic approach and also support CDOs and others who are doing this work as allies and also in building strong relationships. And as you know, my third book is, you know, Strategic Networking 2.0. I can't help but think about it. Every time I hear the word relationship, 
or connection. I'm like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. But you underscore the need for people to really form those relationships. And it is really about the one-on-one and how we go about understanding the lived experiences of others. And lastly, you talked about the opportunities and the challenges that are here. And I, I think about it really as a positive, even though there are all of these things that we're wrestling with, this one, the recommendation to have the CDO role report to the CEO, but also the importance of seeing this as a very strategic position and treating it accordingly in terms of resources and so forth. So hopefully for those who have an opportunity to influence and to help to support CDOs and the people who do this work, that you will take away from this, even though you won't be invited to the CDO Summit unless you're a CDO. (laughs) Right, Danny? Sorry, sorry. (laughs) But certainly there are some key things that we can all learn from this in order to create a more inclusive workplace and environment. So once again, thank you, Danny. And tell our listeners how they can reach you. Yeah, so it's best to reach me probably at info at MVCDO Summit. There is a place where you can leave us messages. And, you know, even if it's not about the summit, you know, if it's about some other particular topic or issue, then leave it there and we'll get in touch with you directly. Terrific. And we'll also include the link in our show notes. So any final last words that you want to say, Danny? Yeah, I think the other thread for me in this work is stepping into the unknown and having the confidence to do that. And that's probably true in whatever role you may have at this point in time in your life is that discovery process is critical to success and to know that every position you hold, the one before that, your work is a culmination of all of that and it prepares you for whatever the next role is or assignment, even though you don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. So stepping into the unknown courageously, right? Yes, great, (laughs) great. Terrific, terrific. So once again, Danny, thank you for joining us here on Entering the Inspiration Zone. We look forward to having many conversations. I'm sure I'll be seeing you soon. Yeah, thank you, Julius. It was my pleasure. I appreciate the offer. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on Entering the Inspiration Zone. Until next time, we would love to hear from you. So if you'd like to join our mailing list, please send an email to info at inspirationzonellc.com. That's info at inspirationzonellc.com. And be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Thank you and have a fabulous day.